Hello and welcome to the Hospitality Insights podcast, In Focus. The impact that COVID-19 is having on the hospitality industry is palpable. There is no time more important than right now to come together, share information and discuss what this means for our future. Join us every week for a fresh episode of conversation, insight and analysis with contributions from senior people across the industry. We hope you enjoy listening. I'm Julie Raygall, Content Director of Questex Hospitality, and I am joined by my colleague Catherine Dogron, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Insight. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Julie. How are you? Very good, very good. Still uh, in uh, lockdown, but with a beautiful sun again. (laughs) Of course. This is going to be the greatest summer that any of us haven't seen. (laughs) Brilliant. In the last few days, we've seen the Trump administration suspend funding of the World Health Organization. France extends the lockdown by another month. Spain and some other countries ease the rules of the lockdown. And the British Prime Minister come out of hospital. So the usual mix of news ranging from slightly depressing to bringing a glimmer of hope. What's it been like for hospitality? Um, well, it's been interesting. There's been lots of speculation on how we're going to come out of this. But um, as ever with hospitality, there's been, as far as we can tell so far, an almost complete lack of appreciation of the role that hospitality plays in the wider global economy. Um, there was a report out last week um, from uh, the IFO Institute in Germany talking about how hotels can come to the fore. And it was all extremely cautious. And you can understand why that would be the case. Um, lots of strangers mixing in in, a, in an kind of ever-changing large room environment and, and touching each other in the world. It's just a health nightmare. But, and so, and also they don't contribute as much to GDP as say manufacturing does in Germany. And so the Germans are not prioritizing opening hotels. Um, you can understand that from the outside, but from the inside, it just shows once again that hotels really, really, really need to get their voice across because there are ways to open up hotels and be safe about it and for hotels to sell themselves on that position. So this week we were talking to lots of revenue managers, um, which is a dark art, which many hotels don't practice, uh, but really they should um, do it. So it's a real thing and it can really, you know, help with, you know, business and whatnot. But, um, but many don't. But the trouble that we're all facing is that as all the hotels reopen, they will, one assumes it will open in a rush, but there won't be quite the demand that one would hope. And so, of course, there'll be a fight for demand. And what the OTAs have, have taught us is that you advertise as a hotel and it's all about price. And so there'll be a race to the bottom. It seems almost inevitable to try and stave that off. Um, we've been hearing lots and lots of different things that you could possibly do to try and make your hotel more attractive to people to stay in, people who will be nervous about traveling. And also this one this one hopes would make you more attractive to the authorities to open your hotel. If you can say that you're maybe you're only at 50 percent occupancy, so you're letting some rooms lie fallow. Maybe you're ensuring that everything is non-touchable and you can open doors without touching them and you can get a drink without touching it and you know all these kind of things are all ways that hotels will have to look into how they change their operations to make themselves attractive to guests but also to help with that opening up process which I think will be critical to to future success. And uh, this uh, idea of changing the way you appeal to customers because they will be looking for other things this was touched as well on the uh the, the recent report from the UNWTO about uh, how the travel industry needs to think about the post-COVID um, world and um, 
think differently, bring new types of uh, products and rethink sustainability as well. Yes, they really, 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 really will need to think more about sustainability. What we've seen um, in so far in the in the in the lockdown is an acceleration of trends. There's been an acceleration of trends in all different directions in the in the hotel sector, and that will only become more um, as we move towards a hopeful reopening. And what we had seen beforehand was a move towards increased sustainability. And now, when you've got dolphins frolicking around in Venice, and you know, nice fresh air for everyone to breathe. People are kind of looking at that that caution and that concern that they had around excessive travel and how they can change that. And this is something that hotels will need to address. Now we have this a very unfortunate blank slate to work off. I think that we should see as people are more picky about where they go and more particular about how they spend their possibly reduced money in terms of both business and leisure. Um, you're going to have to fight for the money. And one of the ways to do that will be through sustainability. We've heard from Marriott and from Choice this week. Uh, how are they seeing the situation? Um, well, it's not so much seeing as sort of like a face. Um, I could do the face now, but I appreciate that lots of people watch this and they have young children around and, you know, we're all working together in a shared home slash work environment. So maybe if I was to do the face, that wouldn't be perfect in this situation. Um, so, yeah, things are looking really quite horrifying. Um, I don't think Choice or Marriott would feel singled out by my saying that. It's looking horrifying everywhere. Um, where we are all clinging our hopes, of course, is China. And Marriott reported um, over one of the recent holiday weekends in China, seeing 60% occupancy um, at one of its properties, driven obviously by leisure, um, which is a real, you know, something to absolutely cling to. Um, Some at the good moment, news. <laughs> this is the one piece. But elsewhere, it's just, just horrifying. Um, and I think it's it's one of those scenarios where numbers lose all meaning. And I'm sure plenty of people are talking to their lenders and trying to persuade them of this. But <laughs> but it's just, you know, refiles down 20%, 30%, 40%. Ah, you know, it's all ridiculous. So, um, yes, at the moment, for the now, don't look too closely at the results if you want to sleep well at night. But in the meantime, the leisure market in China. Let's all put our cash there. And uh, Airbnbs found more money. Yes. Double or quits. I'm sure they're not planning on quitting. Um, one would hope not. But uh, last week they got a billion dollars. This week they're getting a billion dollars. Next week, who knows? Um, one can only assume, or one would hope, that there isn't such that they need more than two billion to see them through this crisis. Otherwise, really, it's time to go back to the drawing board, lads. But um, I would like to think that we're going to see some huge M&A now that they've decided to move into, into long term. So um, hopefully, maybe all those um, extended stay companies who've been so pleased to see them bolstering their markets would like to um, like to get bought out by them perhaps and um, now they're making a play into the longer term who knows who knows what they'll buy but we're all very excited to see it so as you know my ongoing hope is that Accor and Marriott will merge and if they can't merge at the moment they can't seem to put it together then I lean on Airbnb to do something spectacular instead. We're hoping some uh, for some big news then uh, to cheer us up before the end of the year. <laughs> yes. Well, everyone's going to have to make their end of year bonuses. So someone's going to have to do some big deals or nobody's going to the Maldives next year. <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you very much. Uh, it was great to chat again and uh, looking forward to hearing more next week. Always a pleasure. Stay sane. Joining me today on In Focus is David Kellett, Senior Director of Transactions at Invesco. Hi, David. How are you today? Uh, very well, thank you, Catherine, and thanks for having me here. 
Well, it's always a pleasure to hear your words. And um, so, are you still enjoying hotels? Not currently, I guess, in that we're not in them today. Um, but as a sector, yes, we still uh, remain you know, keen investors into the space, uh, but need to wait until we see uh, people go back into them. Uh, the minute it's, you know, it's an unprecedented situation. Um, and, you know, I think first and foremost, worried about people's health and well-being. And then, um, you know, we'll get back to business in due course. Um, and do you see the sector as more risky or less risky than it was? Or is risk played out across the whole of real estate at the moment? Uh, well, it's, it's played out across all of real estate. But I think from an investor perspective, the hotel space, the, the risks are more evident to people now than they were a few months ago. Uh, I don't think anybody expected this type of crisis or this result that, you know, with every hotel being closed near enough across Europe. But um, I, I think that does heighten uh, investors' awareness of the risks in the sector. Um, hopefully, they won't be this extreme again uh, for some time. But the long-term fundamentals, I think, remain pretty positive in terms of uh, global travel and and you know, that that movement of people, but it's going to take a while for that to recover, uh, just given how extreme the uh, the shut off has been in in people's movement. And as an investor, are you looking to see the risk split any more differently after we come out of this? Would you like to see the brands participate more, for example, or are you happy with where this lies? Yeah, I think it's a really good question, and I, I, I think that deal structures will amend quite significantly after this sort of crisis. It's probably one of the, the natural reactions. The you know uh, most of our investments have a, a lease in place, and you know we're leasing to operators. There's usually guarantees, bank or corporate guarantees in place to back up uh, the rent. So our investors are looking for secure income. I can see that, you know, rent coverage ratios might move. So we might be looking at more conservative uh, fixed rents going forward. Um, I would love to see the brands take uh, more of an active role and involvement um, in terms of helping to support some of the tenants uh, when they have got leases in place. Uh, I know they don't like to lease directly, but um, yeah, perhaps there will be more um, skin in the game across different parties. But uh, at the minute, it's quite early to tell, but we'll, we'll see how it, it plays out in the future. Okay. When you say active involvement, how do you see that looking specifically? Um, I mean, it will depend. I mean, it will depend a little bit on, on the situation. So for, um, you know, I, I guess mid-market hotels on motorways or in, 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 in less strategic locations, I guess brands will continue to franchise with limited capital deployment. Uh, but maybe on the more city centre hotels where uh, larger rent payments are needed to support the real estate value, uh, they may be able to stand behind some of those a little bit more, provide some more support to the, the guarantees. Um, I can see investors demanding more, and it might be that the brands need to help their operators to, uh, to, come, to come to the deals that need to be done. Yep. Do you think people will be seeking more sanctuary in the brands? Because um, to the best of my knowledge, Invesco are kind of quite agnostic about whether they use brands or not. Do you see this kind of forcing the issue either way or will it be more of the same? Uh, the whole landscape is going to be fascinating, whether it's through what happens to the big brands. And, and clearly, the, the big, big is good at this point in time because it allows you to weather 
the storm. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we will see, you know, in the recovery, you know, the, some of the smaller brands and smaller operators will come under a lot of pressure. And that could mean that the big brands get more powerful as a result of that. Their, their big advantage is the distribution system. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays in with Booking.com and Expedia and the other online travel agents, uh, because they've played a big role in previous recoveries when people have looked to shift stock uh, quickly, uh, particularly to leisure guests. So I think it's it's interesting. Um, you know, our focus remains on you know, high value um, city centre assets and and their brand. You know, we're, we're we're branded on most stuff, to be fair. But um, you know, some of the best locations in the best cities, you don't always need it. But um, you know, w- we would typically be branded. Okay. And um, as far as we can see from the sort of moderate recovery that's coming through in China, I know it's not a perfect copy and paste model, but um, we're seeing that city centre is not always the most tremendous way to go. They tend to be very crowded. People are concerned about visiting them. There may be some issues opening up. Going forward, will you be happy to concentrate on city centre or will you be looking to maybe temper your portfolio with some, I don't know, a nice country house here and there? (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, a nice country house would obviously be very nice, but the uh, I think the we 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 pretty long term focused. So, in the long term, I think the sort of city centre assets will be the strongest performing. Um, Short term, I would expect a leisure bounce pretty quickly. Um, you might expect you know more of a staycation type of um, product, and it might it may do very very well. I, I'm sure place like centre parks will do fantastically coming out of the crisis but um, we're, we're taking a long-term view and for uh, on our long term has been around sort of top 20 European cities where we focused our investment. Um, and do you see lots of, um, I don't want to call it horrible distress, but um, opportunity coming out of this? Uh, undoubtedly there'll be opportunity and whether it is stress or distress or some variant of that i'm sure there'll be a lot of it um and the question will really be about timing it's sort of when is the right time to go back into the market um and and again i i I go back to similar sort of themes we'll look to be investing broadly along the strategy we were investing along pre-crisis um but it's about getting the timing right for it and then getting the deal structure right going back in Um, i don't think we'll be the first back in um when things come i don't think we'll do the first deal um on the other side of this okay um and as far as um around the side of the hotel uh sector went hotels obviously have become much more of a mainstream asset but a lot of people that i've been talking to say that owners are now looking at other asset classes they could get into that maybe would allow them to open their hotels a little bit something a bit more residential something that would if this happens again they're not all going to get locked down by government are you now looking on the fringes more uh, i think it's always something worth considering and we we talk about these things with our operators um you know this point is more sort of you know fixing uh things you know in the here and now at the minute and there's been plenty of discussion around helping out with health services helping out on a medical standpoint and all of that, I think, is, is very valuable if we can do it. Um, the the other other types, I guess, hotelization of other real estate or the inverse of that, uh, mm. I think 
at this point, TBD, we're still probably more focused on the hotel bit. Right, okay. Um, and as far as how operationally things will change, um, there was a move towards sustainability um, before all this happened. Um, we haven't heard from Greta recently, but um, that doesn't mean she's, she's not, it seems like a, a, you know, something that I'm, I'm missing in my day. But, um, but we were all kind of slowly moving towards this. And as we've seen with other aspects of the hotel sector and transactions and, and elsewhere, there's been a real acceleration of trends. Um, do you see this accelerating the trend towards more sustainability as a result? Uh, well, yes, I think it does, because sustainability for us in particular has been right at the top of our investment agenda. And I think it will continue. I, I mean, one of the huge benefits of people not traveling, of course, is that the, the climate impact and the sustainability footprint that we all leave is, is so much better than it was two months ago. Um, now, of course, we need to see people traveling again and getting back into hotels. But the um, it would be it would be great to see continuation of that, and um, it's something we continue to look at. I think in the short term, people's priorities it, it will go lower down the priority list because people will be much more focused on cash flow, short term liquidity, health, and 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 so on. But uh, in the medium term, it's a huge focus still. Okay. Um, what motivated your drive towards sustainability? Um, I'm not trying to <laughs> catch you out by saying, well, I've always hated the planet. But um, <laughs> obviously, we all want to do good things for the planet and the polar bears and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. As an investor, what motivates you towards sustainability? Uh, so it's, it's, a bigger thing on the, it's, it's a big thing on the investment side, on the institutional investment side. So for all of our funds, uh, we... We track, you know, a sort of we do a sustainability report for each of them, and uh, for each of our investors that invest in, into our products, it, it's it's a becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Um, now, of course, it's about doing the right thing as well, and and, and real estate overall contributes. I think I get I'm probably get my numbers wrong, but probably forty percent of global carbon, you know, is actually involved either in the construction or within the building and real estate industry. So it's a huge uh, contributor to it. Um, so there's a bit of doing good. There's also a bit of it's good business. Um, and there's plenty of tenants. You look in the office space and, and they'll insist on it. Um, and you know, as you take the bigger corporates who want the best space, sustainability becomes a bigger part of that agenda. So there's a financial benefit to it as well as a just a purely doing the right thing benefit. Um, are you seeing an increase in resale values yet of hotel properties as a result of them being more sustainable? I know you can in offices, but I didn't know whether it trickled over into hotels yet. I, I, I don't know that you see it yet in hotels because I think hotel is usually cash flow multiple driven. So the only tangible benefit would be if you've changed something on the energy side, which means the energy costs are lower or the water costs are lower, which means the P&L is better. But it would have, that's the only really tangible way you could measure it. it. Whereas in office, you can get a higher rent because you have a better building. So it's an, it's an easier way of measuring it, I think. Um, but it, I think we will see it in hotels. But at the minute, it's hard. There's not enough evidence yet to support that. Yeah. Um, and has anything about this outbreak changed the geographical focus of where you would invest? Um, I think you, to the best of my memory, had acquired some properties in Portugal um, reasonably recently. Is more or less attractive given the kind of possible impact of airlift on all this? 
Um, yeah, look, I, I think the our focus has been in those top 20 European cities. Uh, so we bought in assets in Lisbon last year, in Amsterdam, and we bought a couple in uh, Italy on forward deals. So they're not completed yet, and we'll complete on those in uh, some point next year and the year after. And that was building out a portfolio that had historically been very German and, and Dutch-centric. Um, we would like like to add still in Spain, France, um, to build out a sort of core Western European portfolio. Um, and then you get the diversification. So you get diversification in, you know, Lisbon is quite a good diversifier versus, you know, Hamburg or Munich or something like that. So that's part of the, the rationale is building that diversified portfolio. Yeah. Is Germany still attractive to you as a market? Uh, Germany is, yes. Uh, we haven't done much uh, in Germany recently. I, we were pretty concerned about supply pipeline, uh, particularly in some of the bigger cities, and that was something we were watching very carefully. Uh, I think one of the implications of the crisis could well be that the pipeline um, contracts a bit, or maybe there's a change in some of that pipeline development, and that could make some of the cities more attractive again for investment. So it's a watching brief. Um, the German economy tends to be uh, uh, more stable than some of the others across Europe. And so it, it's, a, it's usually a good, a good place to invest. Uh, we just haven't done anything there for a couple of years now. Thank you, David, for a fascinating look at the investment environment as we continue through this outbreak. If you're listening to this before the 18th of May, you're warmly invited to join us for InSync, a virtual event hosted by Questex Hospitality Group that commits to uniting senior leadership within the global hospitality sector. The event programme will look at the global hospitality investment landscape and how to plan for its future. Plus, we'll hear from the CEOs at Best Western, IHG and Radisson on the lessons they have learned and how they're adapting to the new normal, as well as a panel of investors discussing the opportunities post-outbreak and how the crisis has affected their strategies. To register, visit hospitalityinsights.com, click Attend an Event from the drop-down menu and select In Sync. Rearrange your bookshelf background, block out your diary, and we'll see you there. Uh, welcome to the latest episode of In Focus. I'm joined by Tom Page, who is the global head of the Hotels and Leisure Group at CMS. Hello, Tom. How are you? Hello, Catherine. I'm very well. Thank you. So, here we are in, uh, in our respective living rooms. All things have changed in the hotel sector. How do you think things will change afterwards? Where do you think the risk will be taken the most? And maybe you don't see any change happening at all. Yes, I think. Uh, well, I think we're we're in for a, a long haul to some extent. I I, um, I don't think we're going to see a short, sharp recovery. I expect international travel will take a long time to return. There'll be debates around which will return quicker, leisure and business. Um, but I think uh, from where we are, um, obviously most of the focus has been in the last few weeks on on the short term impacts. I think people are beginning to now look at more sort of medium term planning. Uh, they're beginning to look at what insurance cover they have, what they will be doing about reopening um, and, and those types of planning going ahead uh, now that most of the short term uh, arrangements have been have been put in place to close hotels, fellow staff, etc. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one of the issues that we will see um, as countries start to open up and China has already started to, to open up a little bit and hotels have reopened. And, you know, there is some sign that other countries are beginning to follow. Um, Italy has relaxed some restrictions, et cetera, is sort of when 
um, hotels start to reopen and, and particularly in relation to hotels with more than one party involved, so where there's a, an owner and a manager or franchisor or tenant, um, who gets to make those decisions as to reopening and, and if hotels uh, are not capable of running at a profit when they reopen um, for a while because international travel is still restricted, who bears that, that risk um, and who bears those losses going forwards? And I think that's one issue that the industry is going to have to tackle over the next few months. Do you see the brands getting more involved? Because we've seen some trading updates already ahead of the main um, results season. We've seen Marriott talk about and Choice talk about suspending fees and looking at fees differently. Do you think that will continue in, in um, into the opening period, or is this some just a, a measure? Um, I think it's probably um, at the moment an interim measure. I don't think anyone's making long, you know, able to make long-term predictions as to how behaviour will will continue for longer term. I think everyone is is making decisions, you know, for today and the next few weeks. Um, uh, and I don't think anyone's going to going to commit to long-term commitments until they see how things pan out. Um, I think you know the the, the operators are obviously suffering. Um, very badly as their fees are mostly revenue and profit based and obviously with hotels closed they're not earning anything at all um, uh, the owners obviously are, are suffering um, extensively uh, and they but they you know are more able to um, to benefit from um, government schemes to support obviously those are different by, by country that at least covers some of the sort of employment costs and there's been some you know things like rent moratoriums and things which have helped um at least defer some of the uh the costs of owning a hotel um so in terms of who will continue to bear the pain i think that will probably um you know vary a lot by operator and by country um and need to be negotiated between the parties yeah do you see a wholesale change after this in terms of who will bear the pain and how contracts are structured or do you think this is a one-off event and we don't need to worry about it and no, I think I think the chances of this uh, this particular disease recurring, or the fact that people are now aware of this type of um, systemic risk, I think will change the way people look at contracts. I think inevitably um, uh, the larger operators often have the negotiating power; they control the pen on standard form agreements, and they will no doubt try and amend their agreements to ensure that they. Um, minimize the risks for them in future contracts that they sign, but equally owners will be more conscious of those risks and less willing to accept taking all of that risk. But in a way, I think the, the contract arrangement starts to become slightly academic when you have risks as severe as, as this, because um, you know it's all very well an operator having a contract saying they can still demand fees from an operator, from an owner, even when a, a hotel is closed. But if the owner is unable to pay and there's no income coming in to, to fees fee payments then then what's the operator going to do and and you know landlords are in the same position and even if you've got the right to demand rent from a tenant if the tenant hasn't got any money to pay what are you going to do there's not much benefit in in taking a hotel back off them um equally there's not much point as an operator terminating the contract because your owner is unable to pay fees um you'll just lose flags and lose the ability to re to earn income when the hotel does reopen and return to profit so you know, the contract is only um, a small part of the of, of the problem. If if, if there's a, a lack of income in in the in the business, so if the pie is very small, and fighting over what share you have of it is is, is slightly academic. Yeah. 
I do think that the um, flags will have to put more skin in the game because they've been moving further and further and further and further away from the process, haven't they, in recent years? Do you think there's time to put your money where your mouth is? It's not just we might suffer some reputational damage, which they seem to think counts for something these days. Yes, I mean, people talk about um, operators putting skin in the game and lots of, uh, you know, obviously key money is one way of doing that. In terms of sort of equity, you know, operators have sometimes said, oh, we're happy to do equity if the project is right and it gets us, you know, access to the right uh, assets. Um, but they're very hard to structure and they create all sorts of conflicts of interest at, at the equity level. Um, and, uh, you know, they're expensive to put in place uh, and, to, and to monitor and maintain and often expensive to get out of, um, you know, as and when the relationship comes to an end for whatever reason. Um, so uh, in practice, although people have been saying that's a way of aligning interest, it, it, it doesn't always help align interest and, and often creates as many problems as it seeks to solve. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as the owners go, are hotels too much of a risky investment now? Or is there a way to make them feel better about it? Um, I think uh, I think for some types of structures, perhaps it's, it's sort of reawakened the risk attached to any form of operational real estate um, compared to, um, you know, pure leased real estate. But I think... Uh, uh, I, I don't think necessarily hotels are in much different position from many other businesses, which could be shut down for similar or different reasons. Um, it, it's easy, I suppose, when times are good and everything's going well to, um, you know, look at a, a business where an owner takes operational risk um, and assume that operational cash flows are secure for the long term in the same way that rental flows are secure for the long term. But I think landlords are equally finding that, that rents are just as uh, susceptible to disappearing when the tenant is no longer able to pay um, because fundamentally that tenant's business is now becomes unprofitable or unviable. We know that, and we've already seen that in, in the retail industry. Um, uh, we'd begun to see that in, in the restaurant industry where lots of landlords are obviously facing either CVAs from, from tenants or, or simply tenants going bust and leaving them with empty premises that they can't relet. So, you know, I think the idea that, that real estate was ever, you know, a completely secure investment um, and that had no exposure to the underlying operational risk was always perhaps misplaced. And I think uh, yeah, perhaps there'll be a, a reassessment of the, of the risk margins between different types of, of property based on what the underlying operational risk is. And, and you know, perhaps this identifies new operational risks that, that people hadn't really considered or thought of or, or paid much weight to. But it's no different um, to, uh, to to terrorism risks. You know, when we, I remember we were involved in, in Namura buying um, the Meridian hotels back in, in 2001. Mm. And uh, that completed just six weeks before 9-11 happened. And, you know, no one would put into their underwriting of a hotel deal of that size the sort of risk that 9-11 created in terms of the impact on international business travel. And so, um, as a result, uh, the, 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 the deal didn't, didn't properly price in that risk um, and ultimately Limeridium went bust. I think this is no different in that respect in that, in that these new types of crises um, uh, identify new risks that perhaps people hadn't considered um, and those will need to be priced into underwriting going forwards. Yeah.
Do you think we'll end up much as we did after um, the terrorism attacks with a Paul Ray style government vehicle to deal with insurance? Or is this something that insurance companies can handle on their own? I don't think we really have a good idea at the moment of what the total insurance exposure risk is to this compared to the creditworthiness of the insurers. Um, a lot of um, you know big uh, claims are, are you know potential claims are simply not covered. Not many, um, certainly in the hotel industry, not many hotel owners have have got um, cover for this type of risk. Funnily enough, I've just come off an hour and a half long call where one landlord did actually have cover for this sort of risk um but they are you know the exception um and you know we're, we're debating in that circumstances what potential claim we have and whether that's dependent on whether the tenant can or does not pay the um the rent that would otherwise be be due um but in variable rent scenarios you then get into issues as to uh what 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 level of variable rent would you have, would you have received if if the coronavirus crisis had not happened, and therefore what's the size of my claim? Because you can't prove what rent you would have received during 2020 if you have a variable rent clause. So there's all sorts of issues there, but but I think most um, businesses are finding that business interruption insurance and and landlord loss of rent insurance is not necessarily uh, covered um, for this type of uh, of risk. Um, so. I think it's going to be a while before we, we find out how exposed the insurers really are to this crisis and how much um, they'll actually be able to handle it because there's a relatively small proportion of total losses are actually covered. Um, and, um, and you know, I have a, a, a passionate interest in ground rents. Um, has this, is this one of the scenarios in which ground rents are proven to be not quite the um, exciting, sober, one well, exciting, the uh, sober deal that people had hoped they would be. Well, again, it goes back to what I was saying before in that, in that sort of people sometimes assume that, that uh, you know, it's a very secure income stream and with ground rents often where the rent was only a very small proportion of the EBITDA, you needed the EBITDA to fall off by, you know, sort of 70, 80% before the ground rent would start to be affected. Mm-hmm. And people assumed that that could never happen in a, in a you know, secure asset in a major city. Um, and again, those types of deals, the underwriting of those deals, didn't anticipate this type of of risk. And ground lessors are being faced with, you know, they either have to accept that the tenant's not going to be able to pay rent, or they're going to have to try and forfeit the lease, which could potentially give them a big capital gain because the, the total value of the asset may be much more than what they paid for their ground lease interest. Um, but that assumes that a you're willing to fund the operating losses and risks going forward until the hotel returns to profitability and B, that you can actually sell it again at any form of, of uh, uh, level close to its you know, previous value. Mm. Um, uh, and some assets may be more tradable than others in that respect. Um, but we'd again already seen those type of risks impact in sort of markets like Aberdeen where you know, the, the oil being so susceptible to the oil price meant that um, EBITDA dropped off by very high levels and ground lessors were beginning to be affected um, where they perhaps thought when they went into the deal that they had a fairly secure, you know, 30, 50, 60 year income stream. Yes, I think we're likely to see their profile of investors change if nothing else after the end of this. So Tom, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, as ever, I'm Charles Woodwaters heading into the hotel sector.
Thank you very much, Catherine. Bye-bye. Thank you to our hosts and contributors for creating this week's episode. Plenty to consider, absorb and reflect on. If your appetite for knowledge remains unquenched, visit our website, hospitalityinsights.com, for more content with purpose and tune in next week for another new episode of In Focus. Thank you.